everybody and welcome to your final score podcast where you listen to the final word on any and all debate in sports today. With you as always is your boy Wyatt. Flying solo tonight. Matty P has finals week coming up so he's hitting the books hard right now. Might be finishing up a paper or two as we speak. Uh, Being in grad school is very important to study so he's taking time off and, and focusing this week so I understand. We hope to have him back next week to talk some NFL stuff, but with it being a solo show tonight, I thought I would uh, talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is the Miami Dolphins, my first true love uh, in sports. For those of y'all that don't know where my love for football began, let me take you all the way back to 2007. Uh, For any NFL junkies out there, you may remember that that was the year that the Miami Dolphins finished 1-15, nearly became the first team in NFL history to go winless in a season. That was my first year really following the Dolphins from games 1 to 16, and I'll never forget that first win as a true Miami Dolphins fan. You know, it may be one of the greatest moments in Miami history, and that's sad to say because, you know, it comes on a uh, on a day where we avoided being the worst team ever. Um, But it's the truth. You know, I can remember going into that Week 15 game against the Baltimore Ravens. Um, you know, they were I think they were probably a two or three win team at the time, so they, they weren't really that good either. But after them, we were slated to play the undefeated New England Patriots on the road and then the following week had to play a Bengals team at home and the Bengals weren't great that season either, but at that point I think they ended up finishing seven and nine, so they were clearly a better off team than we were. So this Ravens game was really the the game that we had the biggest chance at at avoiding this six you know the sixteen loss season the winless season and um, we go to overtime against the Ravens um, and we get a huge break in overtime the Ravens kicker Matt Stover all time leader in, in franchise history and field goals for the Ravens um, misses the, a forty four yard field goal to start overtime and gives us life. So then Miami Dolphins quarterback Cleo Women leads the offense onto the field, gets the gets the play in from the sideline, gets his guys all lined up right, and you know, then a miracle happened. Camarillo comes in motion to the near side of the formation. Lemon back to throw. Got time over the middle. Camarillo's got it! 40! He might 30. score! He may go the distance! The Miami Dolphins have it away! I just love that radio call, man. <laughs> it's a great radio call. It's one of my favorite ever, and uh, I can just hear the, I can feel the play-by-play guy just about to strangle the color analyst. He's he's literally right about to finish the the touchdown call, and then they all chime in and go nuts. And it just is a testament to the fact that you know there was so much jubilation in that win for not only the announcers that cover the team, but also all the fans and all the players because. That was that was really a tough season. I mean, that we went one and fifteen, but we had six games that year decided by a field goal or less. Uh, hell, we even we even played the Pittsburgh Steelers in a game that they won three nothing with seventeen seconds left in the game, and they were a ten and six team that made the playoffs. So I mean, this team was competitive throughout that year, and we just never got the win. 
uh, until week 15 against the Ravens, and it was it was a moment that just, you know, it was a reward for all of the the tough times of that 2007 season, and it's a, it's a moment that I'll never forget. Um, and my NFL fandom and my love for the Miami Dolphins was was cemented that day. You know, I can can never turn my back on them now. I I fell in love with them that day, and um, they'll always be my team. And uh, it started something special for me. It started my NFL my NFL fandom. The following season, I was rewarded for following the worst team in football as they went from one and fifteen to eleven and five. They won their division behind the arm of Chad Pennington and the shoulders of Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams. It was arguably, you know, one of the flukiest seasons we've ever seen from an NFL team. We we won games in, in odd ways. New England lost Brady for a year. You know, Brett Favre ruined the Jets midway through the season. We got a lot of breaks to go our way. But management seemed to be building a strong foundation. We, we, we drafted Jake Long, the left tackle, with the number one pick that year. So we were, we were building through the offensive line, building in the trenches. We had a dynamic duo of running backs like with Ronnie Brown and Ricky Williams that, you know, probably the best duo in the league at the time. And we had a smart quarterback in Chad Pennington who didn't have a great arm, but he could dissect the defense, and he was a great leader. Uh, he had guys follow him. On defense, we had a lot of nasty. You know, Jason Taylor was great. Joey Porter's great. Channing Crowder, Randy Starks. I mean, we had a front seven that could mix it up with anybody and were just a pain in the ass to play every week. And Tony Sperano, uh, rest his soul, you know, he was a great coach for us for, for, for four years. You know, he didn't have the extended success that he needed to last as a head coach, but his teams always brought it. They seemed bought in. He seemed respected by his players now, they may not have won a lot of games, but people forget they still had to go through New England every year. And the Jets at the time in the were in the early years of Rex Ryan and Mark Sanchez, which was a damn good team. You know, they reached back-to-back AFC championships, never got to the Super Bowl, but were you know consistent playoff contenders. And it was a tough division to win in. Um, so you guys are probably wondering where the hell I'm going with this. I'm just on a rant talking about the Dolphins and not making a lot of sense to the to the uh, the other fan bases. But um, where I'm going with this is ever since we moved on from Tony Sperano, he was with us for four years, um, and he was below 500 coach, had a lot of things not go his way. Uh, ever since we went away from him in the Joe Philbin era and the Adam Gase era, our teams have been soft. They've been dysfunctional both on the field and in the front office. We made dumb moves. We signed players to contracts that they didn't deserve just to get quick results. You know, we took shortcuts. I mean, that's the easiest way to put it. I mean, we we always had a decent core of players, but then we went out and and paid a guy like a Brandon Marshall. Don't get me wrong, very talented, nothing but 1,000-yard seasons, but was a locker room problem. Mike Wallace from the Pittsburgh Steelers was the same deal. In Dominican Sue, we gave him the fattest defensive player contract in the NFL at the time. And I'm not even here to bang on Sue because, you know, his value would sometimes be hidden. You know, there are a lot of Dolphins fans that completely regret and discredit Sue's time with, with the franchise. But honestly, he played well. He did his job. He drew protections away. But 
I think it was our fault as a franchise thinking that our team was built well enough that we're just one marquee talent away from winning games. We're one superstar player from seriously contending for a Super Bowl. Now, I haven't been watching football for that long, but I can tell you one thing that I have learned to be true, and that's that teams with cultures win Super Bowls. Teams with identities win Super Bowls. Talent can only get teams so far. I mean, look at the Patriots. The best dynasty ever. I've watched them more than most people because I've had to watch them at least twice a year more than than most fans. I've had a front row seat to their greatness at the expense of my team. The Patriots are never the most talented team. They find guys in the draft that you never heard of out of Eastern Illinois Community College or whatever, but they find guys that fit what they want to do. And then they weed out all the bullshit to find dudes that want to win. Guys that are going to buy into the day-to-day details that win football games. They play smarter. They're organized. And yeah, teams are going to catch them every once in a while. They'll lose games to teams with all-time players. Peyton's Colts, Ben's Steelers, Ray's Ravens, Eli's Giants. But they also beat super talented teams that try to outplay them instead of outthink them or outcoach them. Seattle. Los Angeles. Atlanta. Those teams were loaded with pro bowlers all over the damn field. But they tried to out-talent New England instead of out-coach them. My point being, New England's culture is what separates their dynasty. Pittsburgh is consistently a top team in the league. For years, they had the best trio, quarterback, running back, receiver in the NFL, arguably. But they couldn't get past the Patriots. New England wins games in the offseason. They win games in the film room. They win games before they even take the field because they're taking care of the little things. They're focusing on the details that win and lose games. And yeah, they get some breaks. They get lucky too. But they'd lose a lot more games if they were winning or losing based on luck all the time. They take care of the details. They take care of the small things other teams don't focus on. And that brings me to what I really wanted to talk about today. The Dolphins' official preseason activity started, and I think uh, rookies reported today for minicamp before the veterans show up in a couple days. Uh, i got to be honest, I, I don't know too much about this Miami Dolphins team. There hasn't been too much noise out of South Florida this offseason. A part of me feels like this is a good thing. You know, no noise is probably better than bad noise. I think it might be a testament to this new coaching staff and the new regime under first-year head coach, Brian Flores, he's a guy from the Patriots organization. Um, He's seen what it takes to build a consistent winner. The most I've heard about this team is their TNT mantra and the massive mural to go along with it. TNT stands for takes no talent. And it's a saying that Brian Flores uh, learned apparently from a high school coach. And he's hoping to ingrain it and ingrain the message into this new team. Flores believes that um, most of the success and the failures on the football field are are mental. And football is as much about focus and execution as it is about being physically more talented than the other team. When a player makes a blunder on the practice field like lining up wrong or being offside or committing a false start, they got to run down the field and, and, and tap the TNT mural and then run back. He's penalizing guys who are making mistakes that take no talent. No matter what a guy's 40 time is, how high he can jump, 
how many you know reps he can put up on the bench press, he's still going to make that mistake in a game because he's not focused and he's not locked into that moment. From what I've read about Brian Flores, it sounds great. He believes in punctuality, discipline, competition. Players describe him as serious. A story I read about him talked about how when he was at first with New England, he served as the quote-unquote grim reaper. He was tasked with telling players that they were going to get cut and had to report to Belichick with their playbooks. Um, so he can spot a dude who's either going to make the roster or not make the roster. He, he's seen plenty of dudes that have made it and, and not made it. Um, he wants his team focused on these little things. Again, this, this all sounds awesome. <laughs> Under Adam Gase, we were anything but disciplined. In fact, we were consistently one of the NFL's most penalized teams. We had guys openly questioning him. Oftentimes our most talented players, Jay Ajayi, Jarvis Landry, Mike Pouncey. We had, we had a veteran linebacker completely ghost our team and try and join up with his old team right before the season started. I mean, a coach that's really tapped in to his team doesn't let that happen, or at least sees it coming. I mean, he was completely blindsided by it. Gase was not focused ever. He just wanted to coach quarterbacks, draw plays on his iPad, and that was it. He didn't have the respect of the locker room. He didn't hold guys accountable. And he got rid of guys that thought to question him, that, you know, dared call him out. Flores, from what I'm hearing, is a leader. He demands respect for the process. He demands respect for the game and how it's supposed to be played. Of course, as a Dolphins fan, after seeing what I've seen and after suffering as I've suffered, you know, I'm skeptical. I choose, I'm, I'm choosing to believe it when I see it. Right now, it's just a bunch of rah-rah. All these articles I'm reading have a bunch of rah-rah. You know, a bunch of Miami reporters that are saying, oh yeah, we're, we're starting something great here. And I'd love, I'd love that to be true. It sounds good, but is it going to work? Has Flores surrounded himself with coordinators that can get it done? Chad O'Shea. He's a wide receiver coach turned offensive coordinator. Is he ready to run the whole show? Patrick Graham, defensive line coach turned defensive coordinator. He's managed units of a defense, but can he manage all 11 players? And it's really not even about the coaches. It's not even about the players. Honestly, my biggest concern as a Dolphins fan is is the front office. It appears that our owner, Stephen Ross, for the first time in a while, picked the right guy. Uh, he retained Chris Greer instead of Mike Tannenbaum after the Adam Gase era came to an end. And I was impressed with that move because I don't like Mike Tannenbaum. I was not a fan of him. And, you know, he was Ross's buddy. You know, they were they were pretty tight. But Ross made the right move, in my opinion. Chris Greer was the guy who was more about the rebuild. Tannenbaum wanted to keep doing what we were doing. And Chris Greer convinced Stephen Ross that rebuilding was the way to go. And, and, and our owner says he's on board, but he said this before. I wonder how long until he panics and pushes the team to sign that next free agent so that we can stay relevant, so that we can win the headlines. You know, how long before a four-game losing streak isn't what he wants? Because we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go on some we're gonna go on some lulls. You know, we're gonna we're gonna lose some games this season. Is he truly ready to invest in being a rebuilder? Is he truly ready to invest in a team that not that we're tanking, but we're just not going to be as competitive. Um, 
Is he ready to invest? Because I, I personally am. As a Dolphins fan, and I think a lot of Dolphins fans, I'm speaking for him. you know, we've been sold a contender for years. But we end up getting a 6-10 and 10 dumpster fire that loses the last three games of the season, oftentimes to Buffalo, New York, and then Buffalo again, to miss the playoffs. And, and, and I, I want this house to get built right. I don't want it to be rushed and slapped together because when the storm does come, and it will come, if we didn't take the time to build that foundation properly, all the work that we did do just gets blown away, gets washed away, and we got to completely start over again. And I've already seen that with Joe Philbin. I've already seen that with Adam Gase. I don't want to do that with Brian Flores. I've seen the Patriots dominate the league for years. They know what it takes. Flores was with them for 15-plus years. He knows what it takes. Um, I am personally, as a Dolphins fan, just excited to enter a season with no expectations whatsoever. Our team's young. Um, I'm hearing that our team's going to reward those bubble guys that are undrafted dudes that are just working hard. We're not going to tie ourselves to guys who are just making big contracts because we're paying them. This team is going to put the best 22 guys on the field. And as long as that's true, you know, I like the direction that we're heading. You know, our roster doesn't have a lot of proven guys, but, you know, definitely has some respected guys and some talented players. You know, the Josh Rosen trade, I'm actually a pretty big fan of the move. Uh, Us acquiring him from the Cardinals on draft night. No, he didn't have a great rookie year. Uh, Probably had the worst of all his first-round classmates. You know, Baker was great. Sam Darnold was pretty good. Josh Allen was kind of coming out of nowhere. And Lamar Jackson obviously led the Baltimore Ravens to the playoffs. Um, But, you know, Josh Rosen was also on the worst team. He was still, you know, a top pick in the draft. And a player that the Dolphins' front office liked. If the Cardinals didn't trade up for him, Miami was going to take him. I think he has the talent. He's a smart dude. He, he asks a lot of questions. He asks a lot of why. And he craves knowledge. And I think he, I think he can put it together. My biggest question more so is, again, is Chad O'Shea, who's a first-year offensive coordinator, get him the help that he needs to be successful? Is he going to give him the tools? Is he equipped to develop a quarterback? Because he's worked with Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady is all-time great. He, he, he don't need to help Tom Brady be a great quarterback. you know. And he wasn't even really overseeing Tom Brady. He was just a receivers coach. So he's worked around Tom Brady. But has he ever really developed a quarterback? It's, it's a good question. It's a, it's a fair question. Because Jim Caldwell was going to be the guy that oversaw the quarterbacks. And obviously, I was actually really excited about that signing. But if Jim Caldwell is leaving with his medical reasons and he's dealing with some stuff, so he's stepping away, who's going to be the guy that's really in charge of the quarterbacks now that he's gone? Is it gonna is it gonna fall to O'Shea? I don't know. Um, it is it is it is nice to to know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is gonna be in the quarterback room. It's another move that I like. I think if anything, he can help Josh Rosen with his development. But um, you know, he, I mean, Dolphins fans, he, Fitzpatrick was not a signing that was meant to win football games, okay? And I'm sure he'll have a game where he throws, you know, 450 yards, four touchdowns at some point in the season, you know, against some random opponent. But he wasn't signed to take us to the playoffs. And if he does, then, then great. But he he's a glue guy. He is a locker room darling. He's a veteran that guys in this league respect. He's a perfect quarterback for Brian Flores's first year as a coach here. A lot of low expectations. 
but a personality and leadership characteristics that can, I think, weather a storm when this team isn't winning a lot of games going into October, going into November. We haven't won a lot of games. He will instill what the coaches want him to. He will challenge teammates to do the right thing. And most importantly, he gets dudes to run through walls for him because he runs through walls for his guys too. And that's something that Ryan Tannehill just, in my opinion, didn't seem to do. You know, people like Tannehill, but I never saw him lead. You know, I from from a fan's perspective, it didn't seem like he loved ball. Ryan Fitzpatrick loves ball. This man has a Harvard degree, but he'd rather play a sport that kills people. You know, only someone who's completely nuts and loves the game would be out there risking his valuable brain cells. I mean, I'm just, I mean, the, the guy's the guy's crazy. Um, but he inspires his teammates, and guys play for him. And I think if he can not only teach Josh Rosen the ins and outs of the league and, and teach him how to play the right way, if he can, if those intangibles rub off on Rosen, and Rosen sees that, you know, I got to really step up my leadership, because I've heard knocks on him that he's more like Aaron Rodgers, he's kind of passive-aggressive, he's, you know, he's more about himself, and He's not the greatest leadership dude. If he if, if if Fitzpatrick can rub off on him a little bit in that way, I think that's going to be a huge plus um, for Rosen as he develops. Uh, I think the other Fitzpatrick on our team is also going to have a pretty good year. Minka had a great rookie season, was kind of overshadowed by a not-so-stellar record, but he did have a good year. I think under a defensive-minded coach like Brian Flores, I think he's only going to get better. I've heard that they're probably going to move him on defense, kind of like what they do with Tyron Matthew and other players of his similar skill set. He kind of plays that rover um, on defense. But they're probably going to put him mostly at the slot, uh, covering the slot position, slot corner, which is where his skill set, I think, is best served. Um... And when he's not playing that, he's out there, he's going to be moving around. He's got the highest IQ on the team probably on defense. So I think you let that guy run around and, and, and make plays and use his, 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 his football IQ and his, uh, his instincts to make plays. Um, so we'll see. I'm excited to see him play another year. Another guy I'm super excited about, Christian Wilkins, was our number one pick this year, uh, the 13th pick overall. Not only was he a top three uh, defensive tackle in the draft, but uh, he comes from a Clemson program that breeds high character guys. You know, he he came back for I believe his senior season to win a national championship. He's a team guy that gets nasty on the field, man. This kid balls. He is a he's a beast on the interior. He can stop the run, but he can also get to the quarterback. He's that that two way D tackle. You know, a lot of guys are either a run stopper, nose tackle type dude, or a guy that gets in the backfield. Uh, he can do both. He's physical, and he's got good feet. Uh, so I think he's going to be a great addition. And he's, he's a, like I said, he's a, he's a high-character dude that played under Dabo Sweeney, who, who has been producing high-character players, and a guy that will buy in to a culture and buy into what a coach is telling him because that's the way he's played college football. He's played college football for a team. And for a coach, and I think he'll buy into what Brian Flores is is trying to create in Miami. Um, lastly, I'm I'm really excited about Kenyon Drake. Um, he should be in line for a big year. 
I think we need to. I think we we, we got to cut the brakes off this kid. Yeah, he's he's been in that reserve role for a while. He's been sharing snaps. I know he shared snaps with Frank Gore last year. He shared a backfield with Derrick Henry at, at Alabama when he was in college. And this guy's ready for a true feature back role. I think it's time to to unleash this dude because I mean I think he can carry our offense. He's a spark plug for this team. We just got to give him that chance. You know he. He he's always been sharing. He he needs to we need to let this guy loose and, and see what he can do, especially in a season where we're trying to figure out who we're going to be anyways. But uh, those are just a few of the guys I'm looking forward to watching this year. As I wrap up the show here, the last thing I wanted to say to all my Dolphins fans out there that might be listening, you know, we we just need to support this team. This team hasn't hit the reset button in a long time. We've been slapping band aids on the problem instead of just getting. You know, the surgery done to fix our issue. We're, we're probably not going to be great next year with our schedule. I'd say optimistically we get about four to five wins, maybe six. Um, but despite the dark times ahead, I think we should look forward to next year's Greg Camarillo moment. What's the next play or signature win that's going to jumpstart this franchise and bring us back to glory? What is, what is the signature moment going to be? I think those are the things that we need to look forward to. We need to look forward to the moment where Josh Rosen clicks or the moment where we see Minka Fitzpatrick put it together and become a an all-pro caliber safety or corner. Like, like I think he has the potential to be. You know, I think with low expectations, this team has a chance to, to make some noise, not this year, but soon, and I'm excited to see what a football team run by a leader looks like because we haven't had a coach that's a leader since Tony Sperano, in my opinion. So I'm excited, and I think everybody that's a Dolphins fan should be excited too. Anyways, that's all i got time for tonight, guys. Uh, thanks so much for tuning again. Um, I'm headed home for a couple of days to visit the folks. Um, but I'll be back for next week. Hopefully we'll get Matty P back in here, check in on the Vikings, see what, what that team's looking like. I haven't really been keeping up with them, but I'm sure he's got plenty of stuff to talk about with his team. I'd also like to get in some preseason predictions for the NFL, possibly do some fantasy football talk, give you guys some tips on who we think could be poised for breakout seasons in fantasy. But just let us know what you guys want to hear about um, NFL-wise. We'd love your suggestions. Thanks. Love y'all. Go Knowles. And I'll talk to you all soon. Peace.